Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who podcast in which I, Zedless Doctor Who bore Toby Haydock, gets a special guest to choose a Doctor Who story and I have to guess what their favourite things about it are. Okay, so I am Andrew Cartmel. For my sins, I script edited Doctor Who. I did all of the Sylvester stuff, all of the Seventh Doctor, so I did three years. And I was very struck by Dragonfire. Well, welcome. I hope you haven't waited 3,000 years to watch the final instalment of Dragonfire with me. We're going to mine it for the positives. Let's, uh, let's see what we find. We're going on an ant hunt. Press play now. So, yeah, my initials were on the cover of the book. That was such an exciting thing to happen. Um... You know, I thought thought if you could be a part of Doctor Who somehow, life would be complete. And it's very nice to make a modest contribution to some aspect of the show. I've been very lucky. Life still throws its things at you though, doesn't it? <laughs> but when it does, Doctor Who uh, is there. Um, and and, and I, I don't know what my life would have been like without it and I certainly couldn't have imagined as I watched this at home as I did at the age of uh, 13 gosh um, the th I think the three part length is really nice it's sort of I mean it, 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 I mean you know stories are only told in 25 minute longer than that, that now and it does give them a coy era a certain sort of sort of raciness these 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 capers you know um, f fly by really um, and the contrast between this and Delta and the Bannermen is is nice um, and I like these two characters Bazin and McGluhan uh, who weren't in episode two didn't say anything in episode one and so I was very much puzzled going what what do these guys do but then the trailer for this uh, had the bit where McLuhan goes, you know, and it comes along in the darkness or whatever. So you knew that they were going to get a, a, a bit to do. But, uh, yeah, Stuart Organ was uh, was all over the shop uh, back in those days. Uh, and, of course, he's now famous for being Mr. Robson in Grange Hill, who started, at, I think, as the PE teacher and became, became the headmaster. Um uh, and Stephanie Fairman as McLuhan has popped up in, in various bits and bobs over the years. And I like her in this. Uh, but she, there is a curious moment that we will talk about when we get to it. So that's something to watch out for. It's a bit that's always puzzled me. Um, I do like the, the fact that the map is an old it's an old treasure map. I, I like the sort of old-fashioned... It's quite Hartnell-ish, isn't it? Let's let's go on a quest, um, you know, where it's it's very self-consciously... Uh, uh, an adventure, a treasure hunt. He's um. You can stop sliding about now, Sylvester. We 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 get the message. Uh, also, he does do it very well. Uh, I sometimes think. Well, I was going to say no, little and often, not little. <laughs> well done there. There's Bonnie Langford there trying to get some banter going with Glitz uh, because because. Otherwise, it's a Leela Andrit kind of situation. 
Yeah. Yeah, I like I like these two. They've got quite a nice dynamic, and I like the reverse that, you know, the the tall bloke is the slightly uh, 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 scared and inexperienced one. This is this is the bit that was on the trailer, I think. Uh, and 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 that the the sort of smaller woman uh, is is the hard case. Uh, I like I like that. I like that. Um, and again, they're you know they're minor characters who are just a sort of little bit of a subplot, and you know they're they're aiming for the aliens vibe. This is this is Hicks and Hudson, <laughs> but in you know TV Center Six or wherever it is they are. Don't know where they are. Um, uh, actually, I'm watching this. I I am impressed with the lighting. I think the lighting has worked wonders to to transform these sets which uh you know you can sort of tell there's a bit of cellophane and a bit of this and a bit of that but um but but in in terms of how they're going to create the illusion because of course if this was a film you'd you'd have different angles you'd have each shot would be individually lit uh, this this set's magnificent, magnificent, and the and the height that we get on the cameras here is is uh, is rather marvellous. Uh, and you can see that Chris Clough was absolutely right in in what he wanted from uh, from Edward Peel was this sort of intense, icy, uh, chilling. You know, all of those sort of cliched descriptors for for, for uh, somebody who lives in a. Uh, in an ice cave slash freezer center um i mean do, do, do they need the freezers because they they are on an ice planet it doesn't matter um and i remember i was i went to uh, this panopticon convention so this this was the the one this was the one after I'd met Sophie Aldred because she was announced at one I went to. So that was 87 and hadn't, and hadn't been in it yet. I think they called her up on stage as the winner of a competition and then it was revealed, oh no, this is the future. Did anyone recognise her? Because she'd been announced at, at that. Yeah, she'd been announced at that point, but she'd not been seen on screen. And so, of course, the, you know, whoever the MC was, I think it might have been Nick Briggs, said, uh, and did you, did you recognise her? Uh, and a loads of people went, yeah and it's like well yeah, mm, I bet you didn't because because uh, you didn't get that feeling in the room of people go oh that's the new companion so anyway that was quite a nice that was quite fun uh, and I did meet her got her autograph then and she was very friendly she gave me my pen back uh, and um, I <laughs> um, and um and then at a, a late a convention I was at, must have been, because uh, I asked a... Oh, yes, he gets shot. Uh, that's quite horrible. Um, um, well, well hidden stellar. <laughs> hidden under the table. Um, I asked a question, and I got was so nervous. My, I asked the question of the... Sylvester McCoy writers panel Ian Briggs went on it therefore 
uh, as was Andrew Cartmel and I said, you know, was the, was the melty face moment there put to be a big moment because it was consciously the end of the season? And they said no. Um, but they said it more politely and I think at more length than that. And I really stumbled. I'd got, I'd got the question in my head. Um, and... Uh, 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 but it, it 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 didn't come out as easily as I'd hoped. Suddenly, the momentousness of the occasion d affected my uh, vocal cords, um, which, seeing as I've I've since interviewed Ian Briggs and Andrew Cartmel and uh, had the great pleasure of of chatting to quite a few who luminaries, um, uh, you know, I, I I I still never quite lose that those childhood nerves. Going, I'm, I'm talking to the people that make the thing I, I love. Um, Yes, the little girl wondering about is, you know, it's they're trying to do Aliens, aren't they? Uh, Aliens is a fantastic film. Uh, oh, that's nicely lit. And again, we have to ab appreciate the lofty ambitions uh, and those, you know, really atmospheric bits in, in Aliens. But you get the close in that you get the close up of the, the, the radar -y bits, you know, and the and the and, and the and the bleeping on the on the monitors. Um, uh, which suggest the menace that is all around you that you cannot see, and and of course you, you you've got you've got much more access to sort of you know foley and sound effects and post production all that sort of thing. This is all shot in real time and with a limited number of cameras, and those cameras all have to be next to each other, etc., etc. Um, uh, so you know it's never going to look like aliens. I think I think if you if you're a kid and you know of aliens, you probably shouldn't have seen aliens, but you know, um, I think you appreciate the homage. Uh, yeah, I like the Basin and McGluhan um, subplot for what it's it's trying to do. Even though, uh, yeah, I mean, is it is it wise or is it foolhardy to try and ape a multi-million pound dollar movie in a TV studio? <sighs> <laughs> she's quite good I hated her at the time I found her utterly pointless um, but but she actually she makes the dragon rather sweet um, uh, she's fine she's fine um, I wonder what she's doing now Miranda Borman um, oh and yes and of course that uh, they all go on to I remember that I didn't do the commentary for this I was given the choice of Happiness Patrol or Dragonfire and I chose Happiness Patrol because I think that's quite a fascinating one. Um, but I, re I remember being in, because I was there when they recorded it, uh, I, I remember Chris Clough, the director, going, another crap model, sorry. And I, I, I admired him for that. Um, I think it's an absolutely fine model. I've, I've, I like the model work in this. Uh, I, I like Tony Selby there realising that you can't, you can't thump too hard on the doors lest they give way. I actually like the model work and I prefer this sort of model work to uh, CGI um, but maybe that's just because that's that's what I was used to when I was was brought up but I like a good old model that's that's great um, and boom but but this does throw up the it's because because glitz gets very cross here I recall he sort of goes Kane and you go right so you're more upset that he's blown up your spaceship than he was that he zombified your crew. Um, yeah, this is good acting from Tony Selby. Yeah, you mean business, Sabalom Glitz. 
Uh, although, of course, when we met him in Trial of the Time Lords, the first thing he and Dimmer tried to do was shoot the Doctor. So um, he's he's a changeable fellow, I think we can generously say about Glitz. Um, that's an actor being good value and both on and off screen and people going, OK, well, we, we might have to tinker with what you've given us in order to to bring you back and make more of you, which is which is fine. Um, I do like the Doctor's costume apart from the question marks. Uh, it's it, it's got a he's uh, it's got a good silhouette. Um, yeah, so he's yes he's been zapped and he's got a slightly blackened shoulder. Um, I do like Ace's um, red tights. They're quite fun. Um, oh yeah, because he's uh, Kane. Kane is waiting for her in 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 her in her bedroom, isn't he? Um, um, I, I like the fact they've made no attempt to make the, the shopping basket space age. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know where Kostoma has been, um, Barry, where Barry Norman, the Kostoma, has been, um, because she's obviously unaware that the entire. Uh, Oh, oh the poor, oh the poor dragon that the 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 entire inhabitants of the bar that she left her child in have been <laughs> utterly destroyed. Um, so I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she's off off her knackers on space milkshake. Right, this is the bit that is curious for me. Um, this I I think this is quite nicely done in that there's a bit of smoke going on when they chop its head off, but. Mr. Kmont's head. I I ain't never leave a job half done. She, she's playing the part in RP, and that uh, that works for me entirely. And she nearly lasers her knee then. Um, uh, but so where that line comes from? So maybe she was written uh, in you, you know to be a bit more uh, colloquial or regional or whatever. But it it just means that she's doing all of this very severe, very good sort of RP severe space guard sort of thing and then she says the line i ain't never leave a job half done that and that doesn't even actually mean anything i, I ain't never left a job half done i, I ain't never gonna leave a job it th that 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 sequence of words i find <laughs> entirely baffling um i wonder if I'll, I'll probably forget to ask andrew about it so anyway they but i like those two and uh sorry then i particularly sad for Stuart Organ who seemed like quite an affable sort of fellow uh, and he suffers the same fate as his more severe um, more seasoned slightly more sadistic um, cohort uh, who uh, is is as cavalier with the life of a benign alien spaceship as, as she is with c c colloquial language um, but that's neat that the that the monster is the treasure I really like this uh, this model of the of, of the planet and, and the fact that they you know highlight the fact that it's got that 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 light that, that light side at the bottom and the and, and the dark side with the with the shopping center on it at the top that's a, that's a really neat image uh, and again Dominic Glynn doing wonders with the soundtrack um, So, and of course this was the end of the season um, 
and he got Doctor Who for 14 weeks of the year, which seemed like slim pickings back in the day. <laughs> um, and I know we sometimes only get 10, 12, 30, 40, but, but they're, they're longer episodes. Um, but also, I mean, you know, I came off the back of Doctor Who when it was on, being on for, for you know, a good good 20-odd weeks. While stocks last. Ah, he's great. He's, he's, he's entirely consistently good, is Edward Peel. Uh, uh, and this is, of course, the end of, of Sylvester McCoy's first season. And he's, he's, he's really sort of got to grips with it as he's, he's gone on. I think it, it was a bit of a baptism of fire for him. Oh, I've not noticed her, her hanky before. I quite like her. Has anyone cosplayed the hanky? Somebody cosplay the hanky. Um, uh, that teddy bear had a marvellous career. He was in several episodes of Bergerac. He's dead now. I wrote his obituary. Um, uh, Sophie Aldred knows how to stand as if she's been captured and is desperate to escape and yet can't because of the confines of the shot and the nature of the way the television is made and blocked in those days. She's, she's giving good angle. Yeah, that's a good that's a good stance. Uh, and uh, and Ian Briggs, who I've had the uh, honour of interviewing, he actually came to Manchester, bless him, um, uh, and and wouldn't let me pay for his train fare. What a kind man! And he's he's emailed me a couple of times in COVID. Actually, is a really interesting mind. I mean, I, I have to say, Andrew Cartmel's. Um, Recruiting policy for writers showed again great ambition. I do, I don't think season four quite twenty four quite comes together, but I, but I think its shortcomings are, are are often in the production department and the productions do get better in in twenty five and twenty six. But I, I think Andrew Cartmel came to Doctor Who with great ambition, but also a desire to give a break to writers he thought were interesting rather than just to go for people you knew could you know you knew could do the job and deliver on time and blah 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 which was which was often celebrated and and that's another good reason to to celebrate somebody in the treadmill that was doctor who in the 70s say sophie all just great here she's 100 percent convinced she's gonna die it's great um uh but you know to say doctor who is something where we can get young hungry writers to really use their imagination and you know in, in this case to wear their influences on their sleeve you know there's nothing wrong with being influenced by good films this is great this is the, the suddenly you know this is the climax I, I don't know what those light those panels lighting up particularly sort of mean or oh, oh yeah and it's a spaceship yeah the whole colony is a spaceship boom that's a that's quite a big moment that's a that's a decent model so and it's the end you know this is the climax so yeah the colonies of spacecraft were taking off uh he's got his power uh yeah um this is great um uh and 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 and, and those those yeah those writers that that uh that 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 cartmel wanted to sort of hone over the series and i think if the show had carried on you know we'd have seen these writers develop more um, and, and become, you know, the next generations, uh, Terence Dix's and Robert Holmes's and all of those sorts of things. But sadly, Doctor Who did not have long left. 
but I think I think uh, I think it was headed in the right direction but this is clearly a, a developmental stage uh, it would be interesting to ask Andrew if two seasons later he would have allowed a, an ice planet because I think it does take a, a lot of goodwill on 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 the part of the viewer I, I, I'm not in entirely sure why Kane in the 3000 years didn't check that his home world hadn't been destroyed I mean he obviously doesn't have the space internet uh, this this was this is astonishing of course this is Raiders of the Lost Ark in Doctor Who and it's brilliant that is really well done and pretty grim um, uh, and a great way to end the season there's a great model shot yeah I'm as I say I'm, I mean you know, there's one thing on being so focused on your revenge at the expense of all else, but um, it's all. There's somebody to rung up, so I'm going to come and kill you. What? What? They've gone. Where have they? Have they moved? What, the planet's been destroyed. Oh, um, but there we go. Um, and you, you know, this is this is a real sign of um, how even this late in Doctor Who's. Um, making you know we, uh, we used to sort of p people leaving overnight in the 60s and 70s we go yeah well, that, that was back in the day um, she uh, I, th I think it was that they they, they weren't sure she was going to leave and 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 this is a hastily contrived exit now wh why would you stop going through space and time with the doctor to go through just space with glitz I've no idea that aside this is a lovely speech he does it really well there's a real melancholy he's like a sad bird Sylvester McCoy that that lovely sort of quiz, quizzical melancholy face that he has he's got a brilliant face it's the perfect face for a doctor it's it's you know a clown like but also maudlin uh uh a wistfulness that he has from you know time travel and and all, all the death and destruction you encounter as a part of it and and he and Bonnie Langford do that very well and I feel for Bonnie Langford now I was delighted she was going because um, just the very idea that Bonnie Langford was in Doc 2 was something that I was teased about um, but I think that was a lack of imagination on all our parts uh, and and actually, uh, with 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 time taking us further away from that, she doesn't stick out in this particularly, um, and she's a very game she's a very game performer, uh, and I think Mel's quite jolly. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, I wonder what they got up to, Glitzen. Mel, <laughs> it is. Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah, bye. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know why you've gone. Um, and uh, and here we start one of the great Doctor Who pairings uh, that they do really interesting things with. So it's a it's a launch pad. This really um, uh, f for a series that that very quickly. Um, learns what it does well and learns what it shouldn't try to do and I'd, I'd be interested to talk to to Andrew to see whether he gives any ground as as to 
Well, and to see why he chose this one. I gave him the choice of the stories that were left, and he and he chose this one. Um, so I, I, I'd be interested to see all sorts, of, to, to, to discuss it with him. Um, come on, uh, they've got a sale on because the, 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 the proprietor's home planet's been destroyed, and they've got uh, they've got to get some good reviews on TripAdvisor uh, to make up for the, the the mass murder of the last set of customers. Um, so there we go. That was that was Dragonfire, which I was, as I say, I I hadn't seen for a while, and I'd I'd liked at the time more than some, um, but then I think. Because the last time I saw Delta and the Bannermen, I absolutely adored it, uh, and I think I I preferred then the, the attempt to be a bit more fun and a bit more silly. So the, the the fact that this one takes itself quite seriously in places, I thought, well, that that is too much of a clash with the obvious limitations and the slight campiness of the of, of the production. But I I actually I thought that melded quite well. Lynn uh, Lynn Gardner, who is the uh, Tannoy announcer was supposed to play Ray in Delta and the Bannermen and she broke her leg or damaged herself anyway and had to drop out. So it's very decent of Chris Clough to give her a, a paid job on the... She, I feel she still got paid for being Ray, but to give her a credit for her CV and a, and a paid job uh, on the show that she couldn't be in through injury. So well done, Chris Clough. That was very decent of you. Um, this business does have, actually, for all all... It's it's reports of you know backstabbing and bitchiness and narcissism and vainness that they're actually d decent people and you can you can be very well looked after um, if you if you're lucky enough to work with the right people. Um, so I've got to choose two things about Dragon Fire, one about Part Three and one general overall. Uh, I think I have to choose. I'm tempted to choose Bazin and McGluhan, uh But I think I'm going to choose... Whose deaths you see in the DVD menu? I hate that. Um, it's not as bad as the Horror Fang Rock one, though, which basically shows you what happens to every single guest character. Uh, if I had time, I'd find out who did that, and I'd go and tell them off. Um, I think I'm going to choose for episode three. Well, it, it, I, I'm tempted to choose the music because Dominic Glynn is so good and Edward Peel as Kane because uh, he's so good. I've got to think about what Andrew Cartmel is going to choose as well to see if I can choose the same as him. Uh, and I've got to also not be predictable. So do I want to choose the melty face? I've got four things. I've got I've got Basin and McLuhan. I've got the melty face. I've got Edward Peel, and I've got Dominic Glynn. And I was I was sort of saving Edward Peel and Dominic Glynn as my jokers, uh, in case there were other things I I couldn't choose. And I've chosen a scene in episodes one and two. I am gonna choose. I'm going to choose, I, I like Bazin and McLuhan going through, I like that subplot, I, I really like her performance, um, that's no disrespect to Stuart Organ, I don't think he's got as good, as good a part and he does it perfectly well, but I quite like severe gun-toting people, they, they, they do it for me, uh, and I'm going to choose, 
the melty face because it was amazing it was about i i'm gonna do lots of these stories and i'm sure dominic glynn's music will be a featured uh will be a choice in in pretty much all of them and his score for this is great but i'm going to go on record with basin and mcgluhan and the melty face of edward peel who also just misses out even though he's great uh and i could have chosen him in any episode because he's consistently good but i wonder what andrew cartmel has slash will choose have chosen so let's go to the future um and now we go to although you haven't broken it up into episodes the final episode from with you this you want me to say what i'm saying first because you've written it down uh, I will do. I will do that, um, and I'll just establish um, because each episode is separate. Um, although Andrew hasn't chosen necessarily th- specific episodical things, that's okay because I've chosen one from episode three, and then a general thing for the whole story. So uh, it's two things I am choosing now, and I also have the two things I nearly chose uh, because okay. it was an embarrassment of riches. Well, let me give you two things. Yeah. Then, um, Winnie and I and I sat down to plot the story. We we put a lot of work into the details of what was going on in terms of what people were looking for and why it was there. And we loved the notion that there was a a dragon guarding a treasure, but the dragon was the treasure. And then when the skull opens and we find the crystal inside, uh, I've always been very proud. So that's one of the things. The other thing is somewhat self-servingly the crazy paving speech. Hmm. Yeah, well, those are those are two things. I I did go on quite a lot about the the the, the treasure being the dragon because that's that's a great in terms of a dramatic lift, you know, at, at a crucial point in the story. That's a that's a great piece of sort of plotting, and a, I think they call it now a WTF moment. Yeah, well, also it is uh, it's a really good twist and a reveal, and also it's just a beautiful intertwining of two tropes: the creature that that uh, guards. The, the the cache of gold and the cache of gold. Yeah, and I and, and I think the the crazy paving speech is, is sort of acknowledged as a classic. I I feel I'm I might have been a bit lazy had I chosen that, um, and also because I chosen a scene and a sort of scene for episodes one and two. I chose slightly different. Well, I chose the obvious just because I remember watching it as a kid and it was a um, my goodness um, another WTF mode. Let, let, me, I, let me guess, uh, is it Eddie Peel's face melting? It's, it's melty face. It's melty face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, glad. I'm glad I guessed. <laughs> uh, and I actually asked a question at a panopticon that you were at when I was an errant child um, and uh, uh, and I got really, really nervous. It was really funny because I because the story was in my head but it's people from Doctor Who and uh, and I'd said, had you had you guys put that in because it was self-consciously an end of season moment because you knew that it was the the last story in the last episode you sort of basically said no it was just you know great for the end of the story but uh, it did feel like oh you know the season this season's come to a close there's a there's a big moment at the end but it's really well done and it stands up today it's great yeah and in fact somebody we should include the unedited version of that because it was considerably trimmed it was in its full glory it's even more gruesome it is of course also the same basic technique that they use in Raiders of the Lost Ark mm. for melting Nazi <laughs> number one I... Uh, but I think what I should have said to younger Toby if I'd been more on the ball was that we were never entirely sure what sequence the stories would go out in it was never entirely fixed but things could get juggled around especially with those last two, the, the, all, the all OB and the all studio three-parters. So uh, it 
couldn't really have been a, a, a carefully planned, deliberate end of season. Right. You you may well have said that. It was a, a long time ago, but you were very nice to a stuttering child. Um, you and Ian, I remember. Um, uh, now, I'll tell you what I... Do- Here's what you could have won, what I nearly chose, and actually what I thought at the beginning of the process I probably would have chosen. These would have been what I'd have fallen to if I'd found nothing else to enjoy. Uh, is Obviously, I think Edward Peel is a fantastic villain. Uh, he judges yes. it absolutely perfectly. He is ice cold. Um, and also... Or, as one might say, even ice hot. Well, indeed. <laughs> to another story. Uh, and, and another story in which my next choice is involved, who I think will get chosen a lot during this process, so I thought it would be cheating and repetitive, just because I don't think he ever puts a foot wrong, and that is Mr Dominic Glynn, whose music I think is cracking. Oh, fan- yes. I would say that you know Survival and Happiness Patrol are, are two of the towering masterpieces that he created. But uh, Dominic, yes, I just think we had a lot of talented people doing the music for Who, and I liked all of them. But Dominic, I think, is is the greatest. I, I love his stuff particularly, and he's a good mate. And uh, I'm now writing a vinyl detective thriller about techno music, so I'm on the phone to him all the time. Oh, he, was, <laughs> he was part of that scene in the 90s and, and the early 2000s. Well, he's very kindly done me a theme to one of my sister podcasts to this, You're, but uh, but that's not that's, that's not why I chose him. He off, I put a plea on Facebook for up-and-coming comedians, and he went, I'll do it. Uh, not comedians, up-and-coming musicians. And he went, I'll do it, Yay. I've got time. Uh, so the thing I chose, this might surprise you, but I liked it the first time round, and it still worked for me this time round. I liked uh, Basin and McGluhan's Ant Hunt. Uh, just because I thought they were nice characters, they were nicely played. It was a little subplot that, that one of those things that you can do in Doctor Who, whereas you could provide a couple of characters who you like, uh, who get things to do, who have their own little thing that happens that's tangential to the plot, but sort of important because they have to kill the dragon, uh, but that just keeps you interested in a sort of B-plot. Let me give you a couple of quick observations about that. Ian adored... James Cameron's Aliens mm. and the bug he always loved the bug hunt in that and he wanted to come up with something equivalent and he came up with this cool thing that they called the alien an ANT an aggressive non-terrestrial so he could have an ant hunt to a bug hunt that's one of the memories that, that comes back to me and how much he loved fashioning that and the other thing is I remember when one character throws the other character this huge gun and they just catch it and I was in the studio when they were shooting that and I said that gun's heavy you know, the prop is very light, but they've got to act like it's heavy. And they took that note, and it really looks like they're being thrown this very heavy blaster now. And every time I see it, I feel a little thrill of satisfaction. <laughs> you gave it that re- that realism. There was a slightly strange moment, though, that really jumped out to me. And, it did jump out to me. and I think she's brilliant, Stephanie Fairman, who plays McGowan. But she has this curious line that seems to me... No- oh, Sorry, mate. Steve Broster, should I just chat while you're there? That'd be creepy, wouldn't it? <laughs> you can have a this, or this, this is DVD talk. At this point, Andrew took the call in order to negotiate his fee for the forthcoming Season 24 Doctor Who Blu-ray release. But that negotiation was neither for my ear nor for yours. Anyway, then we got back to it. Right, uh, I, I was going to ask you a question which I, uh, about... Um, my my it's thing that's fun, sorry. This is lots of fun. It's really interesting, <laughs> and this is great because uh, everyone has reacted to this very differently. And I've had some really. Well, we were talking about the bug hunt and about throwing the gun, and it's just one of those little moments that I've always maintained this pr- proud pride about because there was often things that we didn't get right, but there were things that you could just get right by just passing a note to John or to the director or to the to the actors via. So you never talk directly to an actor because that would be naughty. 
Uh, but but yeah, occasionally we could just sneak in quickly before a take and elevate something, and that was an occasion where we did that. I um one a part of it that is, and I still like it, and I like the performance and I like the characters. But one bit that really stuck out is where McLuhan says. Mr. Kane wants the head, and I ain't never leave a job half done. And you go, oh, was this was this written to be done in Cockney or n- Northern? But she's done it RP, and it was it was quite a jar. It, it did amuse me, but uh... I, I didn't notice that in the viewing of it. I'd have to go back and look at the scripts, but I don't particularly. I think she just fluffs the line. Is that yeah? Possible? It's it's a it's a funny one. It, it does it. Yeah, it's a sudden jar. It's and it doesn't matter. Um, uh, I think it might just have been that she fluffed the line. There wasn't time for a retake. And when I say fluff the line, we're talking about top actors here, really great mm, actors. She's great. Everybody fucked the line sometimes. Just unfortunately on Doctor Who there was not always the time and the money to get to shoot everybody to their best advantage. That would be my guess about what it was, but we'd have to look at Briggsy's script to see if I don't think she'd been written in any particularly demotic way though. Right. Well, it's, she's still great. It's just that that bit uh, just sort of amused they're all, me. They're all good because they've got these really interesting names, which I think are all taken from film critics. Yes. <laughs> Film analysts, you know, the, the upper end of intellectual film. But anyway, I know that Ian had a scheme for choosing the names. They're really cool names, but they've all got you. They're not ciphers. They're not two dimensional cardboard cutouts. They're all interesting characters. No, they're, they're, yes, they're film critics and film theorists. I, I did. I did wonder during it why, therefore, the customer that's, didn't didn't have a name and why why she wasn't called Barry Norman or something. But that's the word. It was a film theorist. That's exactly right. But what I wanted to get in here at some point that I think is so important and I haven't been able to say recently is, whenever I'm interviewed about Ian, whenever I had a chance to talk to him about, about him, I always bang on about what a genius writer he is in terms of character, which is true. But watching this again, I thought, you know what? His dialogue is really first rate as well. He's a terrific, terrific writer of dialogue. So uh, I feel that I've neglected that at the expense of the superb nature of his characterization. And if I seem to be singing rapturously about Ian, it's because he was so damn good. And yeah. he still is. He just needs to be, they need to commission him for the new series. That's what they need to do. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, that was something I talked about in the in the commentary is that you had, you had a I think a laudable policy of going. What do we do with Doctor? Do we get um, people who I know can deliver on time and and will do a do a job? Which was often Doctor Who's history is littered with that, and it's a perfectly reasonable approach when you're making serious television up against it. Or what you so, did. Toby, allow me to make this observation: those safe hands who were always hired because they could deliver on time and do a workmanlike job, they were always handing in scripts that didn't work. <laughs> not, because, not because they were grossly incompetent, but because Doctor is a really tough format to crack. I mean, if you're Robert Holmes, you're in a pretty good position, but if you're just about anybody else, it's a really tough format to crack. I'd say Robert Holmes or Ben Aronovich, maybe Mark Patton. The only reason I say maybe is because Mark loves the show so deeply, he can get lost in a, a kind of um, mirrored hall of Doctor Who lore. Uh, whereas people like Ben Aronovich, even more than, than Robert Holmes, would always be following, their, their guide through the labyrinth would always be to write a cracking piece of tight television drama. Uh, so the way that most television dramatists failed was that they just had no idea, uh, what is Doctor Who? Even if they understood science fiction, say that you were uh, somebody who's nurtured on something like Quatermass, the, one of the greatest TV science fiction things of all time. That would not qualify you to write for Doctor Who because Doctor Who was just kind of a different beast. Although it, it wouldn't be a bad background, I must mm. say. I must say, Quatermaster Doctor Who would be an interesting transition. But it, Who wasn't strictly just science fiction. It was something out of his own 
peculiar little thing. And it was not easy getting uh, writers attuned to that thing. But what you did was you 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 got relatively new writers and you gave them a break and and they were obviously hungry for the challenge it meant they used their imagination I, I think it's a policy that um obviously you know that that paid off but but did some good as well well we we gave these writers their first break in the case of Stephen Wyatt he he already had a bit of a background uh, Graham Curry had sold a radio script um Rona was had been writing for some I think take the high road a Scottish soap opera but otherwise i think we pretty much broke these guys into television well that's brilliant well look you've been the first person that's worked on the show that's chosen uh, a story for me and i gave you the list of the mccoys that were left because they're getting snapped up i have to say in in the week that uh, i'm talking to you i've had somebody send me an enthusiastic video about time and the rani and uh, a 20 minute monologue about remembrance of the daleks <laughs> well that is a story worth a 20 minute monologue um i wanted to say just I, when I when I chose the crazy paving speech and said it's self-serving, I'd like to just very briefly, not a 20 minutes length, but just briefly explain what I meant by that. For anybody who doesn't know, and I'm sure there's millions, I wrote a couple of short audition scripts when we were casting the Doctor, and one of these was a farewell scene between the Doctor and the companion. I wrote two different short scripts, one of which showed the Doctor is hard and the other is soft. In other words, in one of them, he's confronting a baddie and showing strength and uh, um, darkness and a hard edge. Whereas the other scene, which obviously was, the idea was to show the, to give the actor a chance to show their range. So the other scene was written in complete contrast. So it was a soft, sad, sentimental farewell scene where the companion's leaving and the Doctor is missing her already. And so I wrote the scene and everybody loved it. Uh, it was written under the influence of Nick, Nicholas Rogue, who was a filmmaker who would fragment time in really interesting ways. If you see films like Don't Look Now or Bad Timing or Performance, you'll see what I mean. And Alan Moore, who was very much following in that, in the same mold, who was under the influence of Nick Rogue, who had written this incredible thing about Dr. Manhattan, I say it that way because I can never remember his Dr. Manhattan or Professor Manhattan in The Watchman, who sees time in this same kaleidoscopic way. So I wrote something uh, in that vein and it came off really well and everybody loved it. And Sylvester loved it so much he kept trying to get it, to crowbar it into the show at some point. And so when we had Bonnie Langford actually leaving, he was really keen to do that scene. So, and we were really keen not to stick a piece of somebody else's writing into Ian's script. So Ian wrote his version of that scene and did a very good job. But uh, the way it, the way they went about it was that Sylvester, uh, I, the, from the production office across the corridor, Chris Club's production office, where they were making Dragonfire, they said, oh, could we just see the original audition script just so we can compare it? <laughs> and the next thing I knew, they were photocopying it and sort of sticking it in the script. And I can't pretend that I was entirely unhappy about that because no writer feels bad about having their words spoken by terrific actors and being immortalized to some extent uh, you know in a TV show so but, but Ian was a bit disappointed about that so I, I've always feel a little bit conflicted about that and the reason I say it's self-serving is because some of those words in that scene were my words but it comes off really well and I think it's a good moment in the show and that's it's okay it's perfectly okay to be happy with something you've done that people like that's okay um, well, look, Andrew, thank you. And, and I will I have to point out 
um, that there, I, I do have this, uh, I think, 18, 20 minute monologue about Remembrance of the Daleks, but I haven't listened to it because, of course, I never listen to the reasons until after I've watched the show. I just check it for technical quality at the beginning. So it is an undiscovered country for me, but it's one that's going to take me between 18 to 20 minutes to get to. Um, well, Andrew, thank you so much for being game for this and for entering into it with such enthusiasm and offering rather than just to give a reason, but to give some insight into the process, because I know that... Uh, whoever watches this will be thrilled by that so thank you well, it's, been, it's really been fun so that was what Andrew chose uh, I don't know that yet so as I round off this episode you know something I don't so I've actually managed to get right to the end of the story without being aware of a vital piece of information which is as we've discovered strangely apposite uh, and so with that, I think I'm just going to go and look out the window. See you next time for another story that will hopefully take us to one of our happy times and places. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Andrew Cartmel on Twitter at Andrew Cartmel and online at venusianfrogbroth.blogspot.com That's his blog, venusianfrogbroth.blogspot.com Going on an ant hunt with me in Patreonville at the moment are Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, David Matthewman, John McClay, Ross McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton, Melvin Pena, Keith Pirry, Jonathan Potter, Dylan Rees, John Rivers, Matt Sawyer, Keith Say, Len Stewart, Neil Tate, Nick Tedstone, Nick Temple, Sabrina Tirabassi and Reynard Toombs. The music for this podcast is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. If you want to hang around in Patreonville getting early releases and exclusive material, you can do so for as little as £3 a month. Although if you get a year, there's currently a 10% discount across the whole year at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. If you can't or don't want to do the monthly model, there's a one-off payment option at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. But whilst financial support is appreciated, I am completely aware it is not always possible or indeed desirable but i'll tell you what costs you nothing going to your podcast outlet and giving this five star reviews and perhaps uh, some detailed feedback that's you know nice and that that will lure other people into my zone and it uh, always makes my algorithms look just that bit sexier and my algorithms need all the lift they can get <laughs> Uh, you can support live comedy by checking out my comedy club, Excess Malarkey, which is back live in Manchester in July every Tuesday at 8pm and also exists online at twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey, where, again, we do an online show every Tuesday at 8pm, although that will be stopping when we go back to live. Uh, but there's also an archive of stuff that shows what we've been up to with special guests from around the world uh, during lockdown trying to bring cheap, affordable, actually free comedy to everybody that we possibly can with the very best talent available. And we're a long-running 24 years old club, so there's a lot of talent available to us. Check it out.